God, we love you, and um, we are amazed by you. I'm amazed by you. Lord, the generosity of a father to send a son. The humility of a God to step off his throne. Step off and out of the pristine perfection of heaven into the dirt. Lord, not to amuse yourself. Not just to get a subject back in order, but to reclaim the wayward. To reclaim the rebel. To call a child back in. And so God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, just for the rhythm we have every year that forces us to stop and think of our need and the way you satisfy that need. So Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Christmas is full of traditions. I love them. And I know we've saying that, and if I were to ask you, you know, if I say, what's your favorite Christmas tradition? You probably have more than one coming to mind. You've got a few. I mean, for me, if you ask me that, it is always, 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 always the same answer. I don't, I don't, you know, maybe one day it'll change. And, you know, the, lo- more, the longer I have my own family, maybe those things will, but it's, there's still just this one thing that just sticks out and comes to the forefront. And it's the Christmas Eve family gathering that we had with my family growing up. And, and every Christmas Eve, no kidding, it was 30 to 60 people at my grandparents' house. And it was just layers of extended family. And, you know, some of them we only saw once a year. And it was just this beautiful reunion. And it was crazy. I mean, we sang Christmas carols. And it wasn't pretty. I mean, like, it was purposefully not pretty. And that was beautiful. I mean, it was just really fun. I mean, all sorts of, like, like any of us. Because of Christmas Eve, if we take a picture, if we all get together and take pictures, we're all going to do a chocolate teeth picture. Like, that's just something that we do. And it's, again, because of that family gathering. But we, I just, I loved what that was. I mean, there was the same rhythm to every Christmas Eve. It was, of course, show up somewhere, you know, mid-afternoon. Everyone hangs out. All the adults are, are getting dinner ready and this, you know, this huge spread and, you know, and my Uncle Tim's plate would be piled like it was, it was a feat of what he could achieve to stack on one plate as if he couldn't go back, but he did go back. But it, it was, you know, getting the meal ready and then, you know, everyone eating like all these multiple tables. You had the kids' tables and I was always longing to graduate from the kids' table, but the kids' table just got older, but it always stayed the kids' table. So it's weird, but you would, we would have this huge meal. And then as soon as the kids would get through eating, they would run downstairs because that's where we opened presents. And my grandma, she would start shopping literally like December 26th. And, and this room was just full of presents. And, you know, of course, at that time, like that was my favorite thing about it. And we would sit down there and wait and wait and wait while all the adults hung out because they didn't care as much about presents. Um, we would wait and then we would finally get down there. But looking back... The most treasured thing about this night was what we ended up calling the program. The program. It was what my granddad did. My granddad, I had the, we had the blessing of being led by a sincere, godly man. My granddad was a man of God. He loved the Lord and he loved his family and he led us well. And, and in the midst of, of, you know, 30 to 60 people and not everybody there 
cared about the, you know, the message of Jesus at Christmas. It was more about family, tradition, presents. But he, he always, with great courage and integrity and, and joy, put on this program. And there were two things we would know that would be a part of every program. One would be the reading of the, the account of Christ's birth from Luke 2. And the other would be the lighting of a Christ candle. And so, well, we've already had the reading of Christ's birth in Luke 2. And we're about to light a Christ candle. Um, and, and it's just wonderful that we're not doing this because my granddad did it. This is, this is the entire tradition of Advent. Is the, the word Advent itself is the word, it's the coming. It's the expectation of the arrival of the Messiah, the promised deliverer of the people of God. And each week we've been adding a candle. And as we add a candle, we are reminded that we are coming closer as more light fills the room, that we are coming closer to the arrival of Christ. And as we just read in Luke 2 where we said, we heard, for unto you was born this day in the city of David a, sa- a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We heard the angels proclaiming glory to God in the highest and on, er- and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And we heard, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So we light the Christ candle. He is here. He has come. And as we started our Advent season talking about anticipation, that as the people of Israel waited for the arrival of Messiah, their anticipation was the same but also different than ours. Because as they waited with great anticipation and great confident hope, we wait but with full hope, with realized hope. We wait because he's come and he has promised that he's coming again. He he has delivered his kingdom and his kingdom is yet to be fully fulfilled. So we continue that now we see that Christ has come. So Luke 2 tells us the Christmas story as as we come to know. Was the answer when was it Linus that cried out, would someone tell me what Christmas is all about? I mean, that was the answer, right? It's the Christmas story as we know. But it's much more than a story. But, but it's much more than a story. If it was just a story, what reason would, we'd have, would we have to rejoice? It's the miracle of Christmas. But what is this miracle? Why is a baby being born the greatest cause for rejoicing the world has ever known? So for the next few minutes, and I really do mean for the next few minutes, we're going to look at the first 14 verses of John's Gospel to see why we have so much reason to rejoice in the birth of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to read it in full, and then we're just going to share a few thoughts on it, and, um, and we'll, we'll continue to worship and celebrate uh, this season. So let's read this in full, John 1, 1 through 14. It says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, as Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. 
He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, Jesus, the Word, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, who gave the, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Did you hear how it ended? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I mean, dwelt is to take up space and to, and to intermix. That's the end of John's intro to his entire account of the life and ministry of Jesus that he recorded. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word who was with God. The Word who was God. The Word who was in the beginning. Through whom all things were made. That Word became flesh in order to dwell among us and show the glory of the Father. But first, I, you know, I was thinking about this and just why, why, why the Word? Why, why call Jesus the Word? Here's a short, quick primer. The Word is the way in which we know. Jesus is the messenger and He is the message. Jesus is our way to God as well as our way to know God and to understand God. So that's why the Word. Of course, we could say more, but that's a primer. Second thing that comes to mind is, is just a question to you. Does that language sound familiar? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Did it, did it echo? Did it ring a bell? Did it sound familiar? Does it speak to creation? It does. John, John is writing his, his account to the Jews, the people of Israel the people of covenant. He is writing it so that they would believe. That's what he says at the end of his letter. I write this for your belief. He's writing to convince them that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Son of God. And he knows that his audience, they would be, from, I mean, from a child, they would have had the Torah, the first five books of our Bible, just ingrained in them. It would have been unmistakable. It would have been, it would have been impossible to ignore that this was calling us to creation. It would have been unmistakable. You couldn't have missed it. He was, he was being very obvious. He wasn't trying to be tricky. He would wanted them to immediately connect to their entire life's teaching of creation. John begins where Genesis begins. He begins where all of Scripture begins. When John says, in the beginning was the Word, he's echoing, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John, he doesn't waste time in this, in this, in this account. He comes out swinging. I mean, he just puts it all out there right away. 
Because what he's doing is he's announcing that the Word who made the world has come into the world in order to remake it, in order to recreate it, in order to restore it. Notice the work of creation in John's language. See, Jesus is not only the Word that was in the beginning with God and was God, but as we see in verses 3-9, through He is also the light that lightens every person. And he is also the one who is the source of the light that was created. He is the Word by whom light came into being. So this Word was the Creator. Who is the Creator? This Word who was with God from all eternity, this Word who is God, this Word, this is the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. So as we hear that, I pray that tonight, today, I don't know what to say at 4.30 in the afternoon today, um, I, I pray that we would marvel at the eternal worth of Jesus. That we would break out of just a story or a tradition or, or, or this kind of comfort of, of this, this story of a baby, but that we would marvel at the eternal worth of Jesus. So what about the fact that he became flesh? When John says Jesus became flesh, he doesn't simply mean that the word Jesus just took on human form or that he took on an individual human nature. He did that, but it wasn't just that. That's not all that flesh means in Scripture. Flesh not only describes our physical form, but also describes our condition as the created. It describes the whole human situation. It highlights the difference between the eternal and the temporal. All of us are fleshly creatures. All of us live in a world of flesh. So what does that mean? What does it mean to say that we are flesh? Flesh is weak, flesh is vulnerable, flesh is needy, flesh after Adam's sin is mortal. So when we think about flesh being needy, because we are fleshly, we need to take in food and drink and air to keep ourselves sustained in life. We don't live in our own strength. We're not self-sustaining. We need outside help. We think about flesh is vulnerable. We're vulnerable to attack. Our flesh can be hurt. We can be cut. Our flesh can be cut. When we cut, we bleed. We're vulnerable. We think about flesh being weak. Throughout the Old Testament, we're told that the arm of the flesh cannot save, the horses of the flesh cannot save the king. We see this in Isaiah 31.1. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Over and over again, we are warned not to trust the flesh, but to trust only the Spirit of God and the God of power. The flesh is weak. And after Adam's sin, this vulnerable, weak, and needy flesh became mortal. It, it, it sounds morbid to say, but from the moment we are born, we are moving towards death. So, so to say that the Word 
became flesh and dwelt among us is to say that Jesus took on not only our physical form and our human nature, that he became a man, but also that he took on our entire human condition. And he shared with us our weakness, our vulnerability, our neediness, and even our mortality. Some of us don't like or even feel right thinking of Jesus in that way. We feel like we're disrespecting or devaluing him. But I hope we see that we must see that this is true. Because you see, Jesus, the Word, took on flesh and took on our entire condition. But he did not sin. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That is only a valuable truth if he, is, if he can identify with our flesh. When all of humanity fell in Adam and Eve's sin, our flesh became the platform of all human sin. In our neediness, and reflect personally for a moment, we put our needs and our interest above others. In our weakness, we lash out in order to protect and preserve ourselves. In our vulnerability, we puff up, we posture, we scapegoat, in order to, to compensate and keep others from noticing that our work is insufficient so we don't get figured out. But Jesus is not like us in that respect. See, hear this. Jesus comes as the Word made flesh in order to redeem us by living a life in the flesh that is not a life according to the flesh. Jesus comes as the Word made flesh in order to redeem us by living a life in the flesh that is not a life according to the flesh. So in case you've been getting worried that we were just going to keep going down the abyss, this is what we have to rejoice about today. And what a great thing that our, our reason for rejoicing is not found in us, but in Jesus Jesus took on not just our physical likeness, but all of our condition in order to transform it from within, to transform us from within. So the strong word became weak. The sovereign word became vulnerable. The word of fullness became needy. The living word died. And the word of God did this without ceasing for one moment to be the Word who was with God and the Word who was God. Jesus did all of this, taking on flesh without ceasing to be the light and the creator of light. So why? Why did, why did this have to happen? Why did God the Father do this? Why did Jesus do this? For our salvation, for our redemption, for your salvation, and for your salvation, for your redemption, for my redemption, and for your salvation. That's why. Why else? 
God didn't need to do that to be glorified. He's glorified. He's God. Jesus took our weakness to make us strong. Jesus assumed our need so that we could become full. Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. And Jesus died so that we could live. So ultimately, Jesus has come so that we will receive spiritual bodies, so that we will be redeemed from our weakness and our mortality and our vulnerability, and we will have resurrection bodies that will live forever. Resurrection bodies that are full of the Spirit that are what Paul calls spiritual bodies. Now, right now, before the final resurrection, before the second coming of Christ, before the, the anticipation that we live in waiting for, we don't live in those spiritual bodies yet. And you know it all too well. We continue to live in the flesh, but because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, because He assumed our condition and lived a sinless life, He enables us by the Spirit to live lives in the flesh that are yet lives lived according to the Spirit. And because of His sacrifice, we are not measured by our constancy or our righteousness, but by His. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And if you've called on Christ, if we've seen that, that we, are, we are all sinners, we've all come up short, and we've confessed, and we've believed, and we've surrendered, and we've followed Jesus, we can all say that. As the Spirit of Jesus Christ dwells in us, even as we live in the flesh with all our vulnerabilities and weaknesses, the inevitability of our death, we can live with hope according to the Spirit of Jesus. The Word took on flesh so that we might share His abundant life so that we might share in His Spirit, so that even now, while we continue to live in the flesh, we can live according to the Spirit of Jesus. So, rejoice. Rejoice as one who has been saved and transformed from within. Rejoice as one who, is, who was darkness and now is light. Rejoice as one who was dead and is now alive. Rejoice as one who did not have to perform enough or secure their own way, but Christ did that for them. Rejoice as one who was made a child of God by the child that was born. And rejoice in such a way that the world knows this beautiful truth. That this night when a baby was born 2,000 years ago is reason for all hope and purpose. Let's pray. God, we, um, what a m marvelous, astounding truth. It is too big for us to comprehend. So I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand and see as much as possible. Lord, help our hearts to explode with joy. 
Lord, let us marvel that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us so that we could know You, so that we could be known by You, so that we could be restored, redeemed, and given purpose. So Lord, I pray for each of our hearts. Lord, right here, right now, Lord, if if they are hearts that are Yours already, I pray that You would just stir us up, wake us up, give us full joy, Lord, that would not be containable, that would not allow us to measure our days and control everything, demand, like kind of making our own comfort and our own security, but just finding the joy of, of, of realizing that You are the one who holds us in Your hands. You are the one who secures our thing, all things. And Lord, if there's any in here that don't know, that have not surrendered, I pray, Lord, just for Your love to woo. I pray for the Holy Spirit to to lovingly just break in and speak freedom in life. And I pray that we would all know the joy of brokenness and surrender and say, my life is not my own. It was bought with the price in Christ. So I thank you that as we celebrate the birth of a baby 2,000 years ago, Lord, that we celebrate the very life and salvation that we have. And Lord, as a result, that our life will be a life that proclaims your glory and proclaims the truth of Jesus. Let us not waste one moment. In Jesus' name, amen.